Welcome to Humanity Shines with Shelly Nagel. This podcast features people from all walks of life, their ups and downs, and what inspires them. Today, we have Tony Seaman joining us from Millbank, South Dakota. He is a K-12 school counselor. Hi, Tony. Hello. How are you? I'm Good. It's great to have you here today. Nice to see you. It's been a while. Indeed it is, <laughs> yes. Uh, I wanted to start out and ask you about what your experience was like growing up as a child and what? during those earlier only, years. Yes. Um, only child. Um, okay. Was born, well, back in the 80s, well, 1980, and... Uh, Pretty much your middle class uh, Catholic upbringing, and I went to a Catholic elementary school where my mom taught for a while, and that's uh, and then went to public schools and had a great, uh, great set of friends growing up, um, mm-hmm. great family, um, but it was honestly it was a childhood like pretty much anyone else. I mean, I just because of the being an only child, I think I developed a much closer relationship with my parents than mm-hmm. a lot of people did. And so it was nice to have that that support. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, and so as got older, going through middle school and and uh, high school is kind of the same way and kind of branched out into doing as much as I was allowed to do and excited. Also, as a only child and the child of a an Italian mother, mm-hmm. I things were strict from on my mom's from my mom's side. How yeah. so? I would love to uh, hear about that. I just, I mean, it wasn't like lockdown, you know, where I couldn't do anything. I got a lot of, uh, I had a lot of free reign most of the time, as long as I checked in. But there were hard and fast like curfews. Um, if she said no, she meant no. And if I push those boundaries, there's consequences. Usually that meant losing something or other, not like a limb, but, um, it was just, that was it. You know, I mean, it, her word was final most, most of the time. I mean, as any, any good child growing up or teenager, you push those boundaries as, as much as possible. And I certainly did that. Um, but Mm -hmm. all for the better, you know, I think that kind of strictness, but also she kind of came around after a while to where earn the trust, you know? So um, I was able to kind of go through that a little bit better. And then, and then yeah. what mom said what, and she didn't, you couldn't push that. No, there's no mincing words, you know, and <laughs> there's no way of trying to lie or like, save your way around something she knew exactly when I was lying oh. and that's usually when I got my ass handed to me uh, yeah in terms of consequences never was it she was tough and she created boundaries and it was tough and fair you know yeah. I, but um she is my mom's a saint like I mean she is awesome like I wouldn't be who I was today without her so mm-hmm. um, yeah and my dad was a little more lenient in um mm-hmm. And a lot of those things, but I mean, despite that, it was 
to the biggest cheerleaders I had growing up. Your parents, really supportive. That's great. That's great. You grew up in Minnesota, correct? Yes, I did. Grew up Hopkins High School and Uh um, was, I don't know, there was a time when, um, kind of going back to childhood, I was was so worried about what everyone else thought, you know, just like anyone else, right? Mm. And just... Once I got to high school, there was just like a light that switched off or switched on. And it's like, I do not care. Like, why do I bother spending my time like this? And I did. Um, and so I just really stopped giving a shit what people thought and mm-hmm. hung out with wh- who I hung out with. And it was, it was nice being able to have friends in so many different like groups, you know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I had my, uh, my ski team friends slash family because that's pretty much who I hung around with quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I had my core group that um there's my boys who we'd been buddies for cats since elementary school. And mm-hmm. then um oh geez. And then just different uh other different areas. So Yeah. Was, yeah. Just a lot of it, diversity in terms of different people that you hung out with and right. people with different interests and yeah now right. I appreciate I've always had a wide range of friends I really I can't imagine just hanging out with people that are just like me I thought it would drive me crazy honestly yes. did, what sports did you play in high school um I skied mm-hmm. downhill skied for well most most since ninth grade mm-hmm. and then uh, I did soccer for a little bit but in 10th grade I was one of only two people to get cut from JV and so that was a kind of a rude awakening no I take that I was junior year and I I kind of deserved it I didn't put a lot of effort into it that's kind of when I started um, dabbling in extracurricular activities that uh, kind of took my stamina insurance down you know like partying a little bit yeah Uh uh yeah drugs but yeah yeah, nothing like heavily it was just enough to be like well this is not my forte right right just you were more focused on kind of maybe smoking a joint here and there and something like that yeah yeah exactly that's okay that how hey i we were all there on high school indeed so the high school years were fun and then you had a night that did change your life in high school. Uh, I did. Yeah. Could you talk about that? Absolutely. Um, okay. So that summer between junior year and sophomore, sophomore senior year, mm-hmm. um, excellent summer to begin. We had come back from Germany um, with a bunch of other guys and gal from my German class. Uh, mm-hmm. And leading up to that, um, to the end of the summer, uh, we were just getting ready for to go to see the band Fish at Alpine Valley in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And I had been arguing with my mom and just kind of pleading uh, my case to let her have, or to allow her to let me stay at, is that the right way to say it? No. Allow, allow me to stay with yeah. some of my buddies at a campsite that was about 20 minutes away from the venue. Uh, She was not a fan of still letting me out on, on my own without supervision during that time. Mm -hmm. You're 17 about. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. I was 17 and I don't blame her. I kind of pushed my, like I was saying earlier, I kind of pushed my luck and like earlier that summer, my, those boundaries kind of cracked down a little bit just because of my own choices. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I, I don't blame her for that at all. Um, so she said, no, you're going to find someplace else to stay or we're coming down. And so I stay, I found that there were, uh, a few other people staying at a cabin um, about, I don't know, three hours from the venue. Mm -hmm. Two hours maybe. I don't remember the exact distance. But Mm -hmm. um, it was going to be, the parents were going to be out there. And so my folks talked to theirs. They said it would be okay. And so there's going to be, we had two cars worth of people that were going to be staying there and then commuting back down. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... We did that. We woke up that morning, uh, August 10th, or no, okay. sorry, August 9th, uh, 97. And, 97, okay. Yes, and drove down and enjoyed. It was a beautiful day mm-hmm. and honestly was one of the best nights of my life up to that point. Just so much fun. Like yeah. The people I was with, um, the weather, the music apps for sure. Uh, yeah. Just seeing my favorite band with some of my favorite people uh, and... It was just, we couldn't ask for a better night. And, yeah. And so, and that was a night where I'm completely sober. Mm-hmm. Just, and it was like, it's one of those um, moments of clarity or enlightenment that people will talk about, you know, where you just see things for what they are. And it's just the beauty within, it sounds a little cliche, but I mean, at 17, that was such a, um, it was such an eye-opening experience for me. Mm-hmm. So, end of the show comes out. We file back to the cars, and um, we were getting ready to go home. And um, as we're driving down, I'm t- starting to fall asleep in the back. So we're, I was asleep in the back seat of a mm-hmm. suburban, and mm-hmm. uh, sleeping up against the door, mm-hmm. seatbelts around my waist, at the like the shoulder harness kind of around my back so I'm not sitting with it correctly right uh, there's there's a person sleeping next to me on the seat kind of like in the fetal position mm-hmm. and so when I I woke up um, to the car shimmying back and forth a little bit just kind of swerving mm-hmm. and um, when I look up the car is going down into the median ditch there and then coming up the opposite side. And that's when I, it was all in slow motion where the horizon was, was inverted and it was just complete confusion. And it's like, what the hell's going on? And then once it started to, and then once the car landed on its uh, side, then everything kind of came rushing back and the car rolled a number of times. And so the person who was sitting across from me uh, every time the car landed on my side, they would they slammed into me. So I had like 120 pounds of person slam into my chest, and that's where my back broke up against where the door and the window meet. Okay. And so every time that happened, so my my two uh, T1 and T4 or T4 and T5 vertebrae uh-huh. just pretty much snapped. I mean, it's and so car stopped uh rolling then slid for about 300 feet on my side so i had person on top of me and my back just getting shredded underneath uh from the road oh wow you guys were on like you 
got were out of the car at this point? Like I would, we were all still in. Okay. Uh, miraculously, um, and uh, but I because of the way I was sitting, I blocked the other person from being ejected out. My oh wow okay. Um, so could have I don't know if I saved her life or just saved her from injury but kept her in the car instead of being... right because it blocked her because all that force would have just ejected her right out the window right. yeah. the door there um and so everyone's kind of clamoring to get out of the car and i'm thinking well, shit i gotta get out too and tried to remember trying to get up and like it must be the seatbelt. undo that but then in the dark i noticed that my legs were basically right in front of my face and so all the way like pretty much yeah and so I grabbed a hold of him and I couldn't feel him like, oh, shit. And I knew right then that I was paralyzed. I just you knew couldn't feel him as wow. And so, yeah, I didn't. I waited there for it. Honestly, it felt like 30 minutes be, until and the ambulance got there when it was actually like six or seven minutes because um, mm -hmm. uh, the car behind us had called 911, they watched the whole thing happen. And so mm -hmm. um, they were there really quickly. And another, um, my friend's boyfriend at the time, mm -hmm. who I used to play soccer with, he uh, he was awesome during that time as well, where he would just, um, he came into the car and just kind of reassured me, you know, and just stayed there for a little bit until, just to make sure everything was all right. I mean kept me from going really further into shock, you know, I mean. Mm -hmm. To keep you kind of grounded and see when, yeah. Exactly. And so that was, uh, that was the, the accident itself. And wow. so, and of course, the only thing that I was most worried about was um, when the police or the paramedics came to get me out of there, mm -hmm. I had uh, a couple brand new, um, this is that they had to cut off and i'm like please don't i just got these and so like sorry bud we got to do that and yeah that was um that was that night and was taken to um well i suppose it it gets more serious as it goes on so let me when they were trying to take me out mm -hmm. um they initially tried to lift me up and that's when blood drained out of my back, just blood mm -hmm. because of just being shredded by the road. Mm -hmm. uh, so they had to figure out, they got me out without much more blood loss. Um, so it was touch and go there for a little while. But then I was taken to, oh boy, was it Fond du Lac in Wisconsin, the hospital there. Mm -hmm. And then um, transported to Milwaukee where I stayed for uh, the next, I think it was six weeks. Six weeks, okay. But I was in intensive care for the next 10 days where um, I, because I was, because of the person slamming into me repeatedly, I had both my lungs nearly, I think it was, they were half collapsed in one and one was uh, like a quarter collapsed. And so I developed pneumonia right away. Oh, wow. And I was, that was where I, I mean, intubated and just on, Every machine I could only talk with, um, what's it called? The uh, little alphabet chalkboard, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and just point at letters and spell. Um, and I was 
super drugged up on morphine during that time. So mm-hmm. it was mm-hmm. in and out. But um, so I stayed there for, yeah, 10 days. And um, after that, um, spent, I got out of, what's it called? ICU, moved up to a different room. Uh-huh. And during that time, I started developing symptoms from something else. And this is a teaching hospital, and they did every test under the sun. Like uh-huh. they could not figure out what was going on. Okay. I had like severe pain in my neck, um, a awful headache, just like something's eating away at uh-huh. my head, uh, and a fever of 104. And so, but the funny thing is when uh when I told this hy- this that hypothetical to him, it was a hypothetical set of symptoms. He was in medical school. He immediately got the the diagnosis, but this hospital didn't. So the for six weeks that, that went on, the first I got flown back to Abbott Northwestern mm-hmm. here in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. Um and the first test they did was a spinal tap, and I had bacterial meningitis from from the road that came in. And so I was on uh, three antibiotic or intravenous antibiotics for six more weeks to to get that out. And so that was that was pretty fun. I mean, that's when I started losing my hair um, just because of the intensity of the drugs the medication yeah yep and so it, it thinned out quite a bit which like if you see it now it's it had it didn't take it away it made it almost fuller in the end but, yes you say you're pretty like a full head of hair yeah so. i was gonna say, yeah um so yeah that's kind of that's the first part of um of the hospital the accident and the hospital stay and mm-hmm. so after that it was kind of recovering and then the rest of the time at Abbott Northwestern was spent learning a brand new life. Um, Completely. Yeah. So uh, I was in a like a turtle shell brace for God until probably mid-October. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to learn how to balance for because like, I have no where my point of injury is, mm-hmm. uh, my core, I have no control over that. So it's learning how to, how to balance and how to just kind of use the body as best you can. Um, mm-hmm. It was, it was a daunting process. There's a lot of times I just, just like, I, I can't, I, I don't know how I can keep going with this, you know? And, but the biggest thing that, um, that I remember and I still mm-hmm. like I'm so appreciative is appreciative of is that my parents were there every day and I had at least one friend show up every single day I was in the hospital. Mm-hmm. I had friends who like would come down after school um and stay for a few hours. Some that would just um kinda come to my PT sessions with me and give me shit or uh, <laughs> cheer me on. Yeah. Uh, mostly it was giving me shit and uh, <laughs> which was always uh, well received. Right. Um, but yeah, so for 
I th- it was two and a half months in the at Abbott. So it was a, mm-hmm. it was four months in the hospital total. Wow. Now you had said that moment in the car when the accident happened. You're like, I'm paralyzed. Did that shift at all when you were in the hospital thinking maybe I'm not? You know, you, you just knew. I knew. Um, you knew. Based the, on the the severity of the injury, there's mm-hmm. there's no coming back from that. It was mm-hmm. um, what they call a complete. In, so there's incomplete and complete spinal mm-hmm. cord injuries. And mm-hmm. incomplete, there's still a good possibility that um, maybe you won't walk, a person won't walk again. But regaining some movement, some feeling, things like that. Um, mine was complete because the severity of that injury, like it was almost severed it was where the, the spinal cord was stretched so far, but without being severed, there's no way it was going to mm-hmm. recover again. And, mm-hmm. um, but I think back, you know, I had the, had the injury occurred, uh, a couple inches higher mm-hmm. i wouldn't have full use of my arms or right. if i would if i was sitting straight up in the seat and having the per like that person who would either fly by me mm-hmm. out and could have just taken broken my neck mm-hmm. you know so it's i honestly and after all that i i feel i've been playing with house money you know it's mm-hmm. i've been on my deathbed three separate times and um it's just like hey keep going yeah so you were you said about four months that you were in the hospital right so when you transitioned out of the hospital were you then using a wheelchair or how did you what was the process in terms of transitioning back home and then transitioning to school ed um so basically it was the transition period was making sure like the house was um, set up as best as we could in terms of accessibility. Mm-hmm. So, and we lived in a split level, so that was <laughs> damn near impossible. Yeah. Um, so we had to get a couple of uh, stair glides where just tra- having to, so that, and let me stick a step back. I had to learn how to transfer from the wheelchair to the bed, wheelchair, Basically, the wheelchair to anything, to the car, to the stair glide, to a couch, to the floor, um, pretty much anywhere I'd need to get in and out of, that's what I needed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, or into the shower, or into the toilet, thing, pretty mm-hmm. much. Yeah. Um, so that was, that took a while, you know, just um, because... At that point, we're not working on strength training. It's just right. kind of getting the basics. So it was a lot. I needed to, a lot of help at those first few months when I mm-hmm. left the hospital. Mm-hmm. So when I got back in December, I had probably about a month before um, the spring semester of senior year started. Okay. So I was able to just kind of work on strengthening myself up. And then, um, and my endurance to get through a day, you know, mm-hmm. because it was, it was tough. And oh yeah, I can't even imagine. But finally got there, and it was um, 
it was kind of a, it was a surreal experience getting coming back to school for the first I, time and yeah it I don't honestly remember the first day I don't remember a lot about my senior year uh, mm-hmm. just because I think it was mostly a whirlwind I wasn't I know I missed a lot of days of school just because mm-hmm. of health reasons and still mm-hmm. trying to figure everything out mm-hmm. um but it the the main the two constants that always were there was the support of my parents and mm-hmm. family and also my friends and really good friends yeah yeah and I, and I know I've I've told people before where like they've always been like the um, excuse me they've always they've never how do I put this how did I put it the last time they're my Virgil to to my Dante, you know, mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. they've gotten me through hell, and they never gave up on me. So I always felt that I could never give up give up on them by mm-hmm. just saying the hell with it. Because there's, mm-hmm. I mean, I've battled depression since I was fourteen years old, mm-hmm. um, but and there was times when I just thought, well, maybe I take the, this bottle of pills and because it mm-hmm. can, it's it's just too much. I don't want to go. Was this like around 17, 18 when this first happened? You felt yeah. that way or? Okay. Oh, yeah. and, and the initial, when it first happened, you got pretty depressed? When I, it was when I got home that I got a little bit more depressed when I mm-hmm. kind of was able to see life outside of the hospital. Because yeah. when you're in a hospital, you're, that's all you see. You're, mm-hmm. I mean, it, yeah. that's your home for a while. Mm-hmm. But then when you kind of get back into real life, you see all the changes and mm-hmm. all of the uphill battles that are still left to go. And yeah. it becomes overwhelming at times. Oh, I'm sure. This new reality, you're 17 years old. Your whole life has shifted. You have to adjust your body. Just the simple things of getting dressed, yeah. using the bathroom, all the stuff, you know, has completely changed and there's obstacles to do it. And also just the trauma experiencing in an accident and then being sick. So much, so much to deal with. Yeah, um, it, was, it was a lot, but. So you had said, because there were some times where you felt depressed or maybe even suicidal at times. What kept you from doing that was the support from your family and friends kept being like, I want to show up for them. They're showing up for me. Exactly. It was. Mm-hmm. Um, anytime I would get down on myself, I had friends who would just be there to say, all right, come on, pull your head out of your ass and mm-hmm, let's mm-hmm. change the subject, do something else, take yeah. over. Um, so that was, that was what I needed. I needed mm-hmm. a foot in my ass a lot of times <laughs> by them. And, and yeah, honestly, I wouldn't be here without that, you know, that's, mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. what has meant the most to me. Did you find yourself, um, in terms of just coping methods, right? So like when we have these tragic or traumatic things, life teaching things happen, a lot of people, a lot of people will end up coping with drugs and alcohol sometimes. I know that, but did you find any new type of coping methods or things that you maybe what normally have done before the accident that really helped you deal with life? Wow, man. Um, I've thought about that before, mm-hmm. and I, when I think back about 
on that early time, I never really thought of any, I could never could come up with anything in particular that was a new coping mechanism. What it was, was just, well, shit, here's something that is happening. Mm -hmm. I need to figure out a way to overcome this. Mm -hmm. Let's just find the, find the solution and move on. Um, it's kind of like that improvise, adapt, overcome. There's things where mm -hmm. you just put your head down and go and go straight through and, you know, um, or just keep pushing. And that's kind of what it was. I just, if something, uh, came up it, that I had to deal with, um, whether it was sickness or, or like some sort of complication, mm -hmm. um, you know, I just kind of put my head down and just kept going. I, there's never many thoughts about like, oh, how am I going to cope with this? No, just, just do it. Just do it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you are paralyzed from your waist down. Is that correct? Mid chest. Oh, mid chest. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. So yeah, that's where I was saying like, if it was a couple inches higher, like right around like the shoulders, then I'd be. You'd be able to access that yeah, part of your body and your arm. Right. Okay. Not as well. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, so there was, I just, I think I've coped just by doing, you mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. and keeping myself busy. And mm -hmm. like one of the, excuse me, arm, one of the biggest uh, events was getting my driver's license back. Um, mm -hmm. at just having that sense of independence again. Yeah. I can just get out of the house or I'm not relying on my parents or my friends to to drive me anywhere again, mm -hmm. you know, because it was three months or well, longer than that, um, almost six months of having my friends drive me around. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and back then, um, I, I again, I, I don't know what I did to deserve like my friends in a such a supportive community, but we had a um, a fundraiser that uh, raised just a ton of money and was able to purchase like we used those funds to buy a van um, like a an accessible van oh wow so it was it was amazing i i still to this day it's like that that money should have gone so like someone more deserving i'm just i'm just hey you know what universe brought it to you accept it i suppose you know yeah take it you deserve it I would love to hear, because you have been able to live a good life and work as a professional and, yeah. you know, carry on, because there might be somebody in, freshly in your situation, that's like, how do I fucking move through this? So I would right. love to hear about, you know, because you're a busy guy, you do a lot of different, th I want to hear all about it. Sure. Um, like For those people that might be um, fresh off an injury and looking out and thinking, oh, for God's sake, this is, this is way too daunting. Like, I don't know mm -hmm. if I can do this. What are my options? It, those are all valid, valid questions. We, mm -hmm. anyone in this position goes through that same existential crisis of what we're going to do beyond, um, just sitting around. Mm -hmm. And honestly, it, it's not an easy path. It never will be. Mm -hmm. uh, it takes a lot of gumption. It takes a lot of effort. Uh, it takes a lot of support, but it's it's doable. There's um, 
no matter what anyone really said um, says, I've always been one that's like, well, let me find that out on my own. Like if someone says, well, it's, you're not going to be um, like, for instance, I initially went out to college in Montana mm -hmm. um, for, I, for geology was my first major. And I went through the first couple of years and they're like, oh, you're going to have a desk, desk job. And like, well, let me see how this works. And right. <laughs> sure enough, they were right. I, there's no way like without a ton of uh, ton of help getting through some of the terrain that we had to go on. It's like, yeah, those those field classes were a pain in the ass, um, mm. not just for me, but for my friends who were in, mm -hmm. the, in there. It's like, all right, you know what? I'm. I'm not going to put you guys through all this where you're spending more of your time carrying my crippled ass up and over these rocks and instead of you not learning as much, you know? Mm -hmm. But, uh, so I, it, it took a little bit to decide what the heck I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, it took me a long time. Mm -hmm. I got a degree in history at the time. I thought, oh, this is, maybe I'll teach. And I took one curriculum and instruction course and I said the hell with that I do not want to be a teacher uh -huh. um, and so I got in a job at um, well I moved back from Montana back in I think 05 back and, to Minnesota yeah okay and I was trying to decide like what I'm going to do with a history degree I spent one session uh, as a in, as an intern for uh, a DFL senator uh, at the state capitol mm -hmm. and just to see, hey, is government the <laughs> way I want to go? Well, let me just tell you, no, that's, <laughs> I did not like anybody yeah. that worked in there. Oh, okay. I mean, as Understandable. We, yeah. Even back then, it's, it was, it wasn't as bad as it is right now. With but, politics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but everyone just talks shit about everyone in, in that situation. And yeah. Yeah. The people, I mean, I shouldn't say I didn't like anyone. I liked the people, the, the staff for whom I worked, um, mm -hmm. in St. Paul there, but yeah, so that turns out, no, not, not the best thing, but what I'm getting at is that it takes a while it don't, for, the, for these people that don't know what to expect or mm -hmm. keep looking, just keep going, you know, mm -hmm. like, um, it'll eventually come. And that's when I got a job at Minnetonka high school, Okay, a behavioral paraprofessional where, so I was running their detention room with another lady mm -hmm. and, um, doing behavior interventions with kids, um, making sure they're doing their detention mm -hmm. hours and things like that. Um, and as the, I was there about four years and still trying to decide what to do because I mean the job there's no with that job well it's great uh, for a little bit it there's there's no movement there's no upward movement you know you're mm -hmm. stuck you're not salaried uh, don't get paid during the summer so it was it was and it's not all about the money but I mean it's you can't you have to survive <laughs> yeah then you, as a single guy or single person, you yeah. can't survive on a para salary. Right. So I went to, decided 
like I got pushed kind of into grad school mm -hmm. um, by one of my assistant principals and because he saw the not necessarily the impact but the relationship building I had with a lot of these kids who mm -hmm. would come in and we'd talk one-on-one -on -one and we'd um, it was trying to figure out well okay what's going on why are you keep coming here you know why do you, and some it's just not a big deal for them you know it's mm -hmm. I skipped class but for those <laughs> kids that kept acting out and talking back to their teachers or mm -hmm. doing something else or just finding out like well what's let's find the underlying mm -hmm. like why. why they're choosing to do that because it's always out of something else and then they're doing so you were good at connecting with these kids and letting they would drop their guard with you it sounds like yeah and it was one of those things where just to use humor and just gen being genuine with them you know mm -hmm. um and i still use that today but like mm -hmm. we a lot of these kids did not have someone to talk to. They just wanted mm -hmm. someone to be, to listen, just they wanted to be heard. Mm -hmm. And I offered that. So after school, a lot of times my, my room was pretty much packed. And so, oh, wow. and so instead of like just attention where it's sit down, be quiet, let's, it almost was like a group meeting at, <laughs> at certain times, which is like, yeah. Let, let's just let's talk what's on your mind you know and mm -hmm. sometimes you have to kind of corral them back because of kids you know? no i work with kids sometimes too i'm a substitute teacher uh, why i'm auditioning and yeah, yeah so i understand yeah so and that was kind of what it is and i realized that was something i was good at and mm -hmm. went back and got through um got through grad school while working full-time and yeah, now it took me three years to find a job um, just mm -hmm. because, well, there's some instances of disability discrimination that I, yeah. I found I'm sure. to be processed. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not going to name names. <laughs> but that's, but it's, yeah, it's out there. reality. Mm -hmm. You know, and that, it's not just that there's so much discrimination in education. Mm -hmm. It's kind of, mm -hmm. it, it's really disheartening. Mm -hmm. Racial, ageism, ability, it, mm -hmm. as much as people want to say, oh, it's such an inclusive place, nah, not really. Mm -hmm. um, but I was, uh, I applied out here in Ortonville, Minnesota, which is right on the South Dakota border. Okay. And I, the superintendent, uh, and the two principals at the time um, saw something in me. I don't, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, <laughs> and interviewed. And I've been out here for the past six years, and I absolutely love it. I was kind of nervous about coming out to a really small town. Uh, yeah, I mean, our I'm the only counselor uh, for or school counselor for 500 kids, K through 12. Wow. That's um, a lot of kids. Yeah. But the nice thing is we are a very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh boy. Um, I'll just say it. we're a lucky district in the fact that we have partnered with, um, fortunate, I guess is the word I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. Um, that we have partnered with a, counseling family counseling service mm -hmm. that is able to house a mental health counselor in both the elementary and the 
middle school slash high school. And so that is a tremendous help to the number of kids with mental health issues. Right. It keeps it. And the numbers keep increasing. Increasing right now, just with just the climate of our world right now. I know that there is a lot of, you know, a lot more mental health issues happening, especially with kids. And I see it, too, just being a sub and just I've seen a progression in that, just especially with the kids being out of school for COVID and just everything that's happened. Um, And there's been some regression, you know, not getting the learning that they need. And some kids are behind now. So. Right. And that was. That was one of the hardest things for me was um, those kids, when I would check in, well, how are things going? Mom's the word just because their trigger is usually standing right behind them and their parents. You know, their home life is what was always the biggest issue. And so being forced back into that um, into that environment with no escape, really, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That the mental health and the feeling of anxiety and mm-hmm. hopelessness, really, that mm-hmm. these kids felt. Everybody that I was working with just went downhill mentally. Yeah, I actually had talked to some teachers too who were teaching over Zoom, and you know, where some kids they have fighting and they have abuse going on at home, and having to try to shield what's going on in their home life. Kids trying to do that, why they're trying to take their lessons over Zoom with their teachers, mm-hmm. and so I know that the that was something that was happening, um, you know, kids feeling embarrassed about what, what their home situations were like, which is completely out of their control. Right. So, and, and you've been working as a school counselor now. What are some of your hobbies and things that you do for fun? I'll still try to see as much music as possible. Okay. It's okay. always been yeah. um, a huge part of my life. In fact, I just spend way too much money on uh, getting tickets and lodging again to go see fish out in Colorado at the end of the summer. Um, But just yesterday, and like I told you before, I kind of, um, I'm a beer snob. I craft beers. (laughs) And I was just up in North Fargo yesterday, Uh um, an event called the Fooler's Bar, Fooler's Ball, which was just celebration of weird beers. (laughs) But it's, other than that, you know, it's, the same thing, going to sporting events, um, mm-hmm. just pretty much doing anything where I'm not home all the time. I like just mm-hmm. being out and doing mm-hmm. it, but still need those weekends to recharge. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, like I enjoy just going on road trips. I'm not the biggest fan of flying. Uh, mm-hmm. Pain in the ass, too. Yeah, uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. Once you're kind of stuck in a seat, you're in that seat for the duration. Uh, mm-hmm. Then in anything over like four hours uh, or five hours, I start to get like that claustrophobia set in. Mm-hmm. And inside. it's like, all right, if I don't get out of here, I'm going <laughs> to break shit. Yeah. Know? Yeah, I know. There's definitely been a lot of crazy incidents too recently. I know on flights, I'm like, whoa, people yeah. pulling out a knife here. Yikes. Uh, <laughs> don't fly spirit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So driving taking road trips music so it seems like you stay pretty active going out with friends do you have like a community of people where you move to now i have a handful like the people i work with are great like that's uh, great i there's a lot of support and and that i mean i'd still say my all of my good friend good friends still live elsewhere either mm-hmm. either mm-hmm. in 
MSP or like Sioux Falls or out of state, you know? Okay. Um, so I do tend to travel back to the cities quite a bit um, just to kind of see them and see my mom um, who lives, who still lives down in the cities. And um, but yeah, I mean, it's nice to have, if have the people around here, like we're pretty close, uh, close group in our office, like in our main office. And uh, that's, that's been really nice because a lot of times we don't always like our coworkers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I should say, do I really like them? I mean, if they watch this, no, they suck. They're all- no, they're amazing. You love yeah. them. Well, t- Tony, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing and being vulnerable and inspiring. Uh, I'm you, Yeah. I appreciate you thinking I'm inspiring, uh, but, you know, I, yeah. it's just another day, right? I'm a to the spot, play my ass on the bench.